the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 30th day of October 2023 as we're broadcasting live as you heard in the opening there from Johnny D from the Hoppy Kerchival Building. Hoppy coming your way in just about an hour. Uh, well, we got about 60 minutes to fill between now and then and we've got uh, some guests to do it. I'm Luke Wiggs, Marsha Kavalik hanging out with us in uh, studio today. And Marsha, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our first guest. In studio, Berkeley County Assistant Prosecutor Joe Kinzer on the latest conviction and the Get Money by Any uh, any Means criminal enterprise. Welcome in. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me this morning. So I was there when uh, you guys rolled this out with the uh, the FBI and, and a lot of other, the, the prosecuting, uh, the U.S. prosecutor uh, for the Northern District of West Virginia. Uh, this was a huge, huge investigation. And uh, was was Zito Tape the kingpin? Um, you know, the investigation um, that was really coordinated by Miss Delegate in our office, bringing together several law enforcement uh, agencies to to do this investigation. Um, yes, our, our investigation determined that Mr. I believe is actually pronounced Tape. Um, is, oh, okay. Yeah, Tape. well, yeah, we didn't. Thank know, you. We didn't know this till a couple of weeks ago, so it's it's not on you. <laughs> okay, uh, so noted. <laughs> okay, Zato, I'm, I'm writing Tape. it down. Zate, it's Zato. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could Thank just you. call him Tato. That is, we have an AKA Tato. We know he goes by that. So, so people in the listening area, oh, oh, oh Tato. Oh, Tato. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, we we were able through that investigation to determine that um, he was uh, kind of the top of the organization and was certainly one of the founders. Uh, so being able to obtain this conviction, uh, he pled on Friday in front of Judge Deborah McLaughlin to the Criminal Enterprise Act violation charge, which is um, that's a big deal. So we're, you know, um, it was important for us to see that through and, and get to this point. So walk us back, because I believe it was it may have been 2020 when when you guys rolled this out. And uh, it was one of the first big ones that I covered when I was um, named news director. And uh, it just it it seemed to span multiple states. It seemed to uh, involve a lot of different drugs and a lot of money. Yes. Um, so and well, and actually, what brought it to uh, it's a little bit a little bit more recent than that. What brought it to our attention were uh, a rash of shootings in Berkeley County in February of 22. Okay, my apologies. Yep. Yeah, so I was thinking it was a previous one. This is 2022. This is the 2022. And this is yep. when just these small incidents, not really small, because people sure. were getting shot, shot at, at, buildings sure. were getting shot at, yes. uh, drew the attention of, of law enforcement. That's it, absolutely. And and through that, bringing all of these law enforcement folks uh, into our office under one roof and working together and kind of game planning the investigation, uh, we were able to see that they were the shootings were related to uh, this this gang activity. Get money by any means, uh, GMBAM, or we call it Jim Bam in the office, um, <laughs> just because it, it takes too long. Got to shorthand it. You right? got to shorthand it, right? It's government. You got to shorthand everything, so it's Jim Bam. And uh, you know what we found? I mean, it's no surprise, right? That the drug trafficking and violence, you know, go hand in hand. And um, what was really scary about these folks is. Um, their, their poison of choice when it comes to the drug sale side of it was fentanyl, which, you know, 
we we know all about fentanyl, um, but it's they were doing pressed fentanyl pills, which you know when fentanyl first came into the area, it was being laced into heroin locally, and you you were having people dropping left and right because they thought they were buying, you know, heroin and it was fentanyl or it had too much fentanyl in it. It was a big deal. Um, and that was terrible. I mean, that, that caused a lot of loss of life in this area. But what terrifies me specifically about pressed fentanyl pills is that they look like tablets. They look like, uh, you know, like they're from a pharmacy and they're in bright colors and blue and pink and whatnot. And, you know, you what worries me about that, and I think Katie and, and the rest of the office in law enforcement is, you know, it, high school parties, youth, you know what I mean? That it, it, it's something that's more accessible to them as and opposed to, they don't know to, what they're getting. And they don't know what they're getting. And they would often refer to them on the street as perk as he like Percocet. That's not Percocet. That's fentanyl. And the guys dealing it know it's fentanyl, but they're calling them, they're calling them Percocet. And, um, and so when, during this investigation, we seized like a thousand press fentanyl pills, uh, from a search warrant. So, that's crazy. Yeah. When, when you think that even a small amount can kill a person. Yeah, it's terrifying. And how far did this criminal enterprise go? Um, you know, it, it was most of the players who were actually doing the, the hand-to-hands, the, you know, all of the actual action was relatively local. But uh, there were members within the organization who would go to various other states to uh, pick up the supply and, and do things like that and working with other really kind of scary dudes down in Virginia. And, and you know, it, it always spiders out a little bit. So how many convictions, how many people have been convicted um, to your knowledge? And I, I know I didn't prepare <laughs> you for this, but um, it, there were, it was a large enterprise. There were a lot of people involved uh, and, and several of them have been adjudicated. Absolutely. Yes. Um, when it, so this was a, when we finally rolled this out, this indictment in February of this year, so one one year, almost exactly from when the shootings occurred and got our attention, um, it was a hundred, hundred and fifty eight count indictment with multiple defendants, um, multiple, multiple, and specifically just to the criminal enterprise act charge, the last charge in the indictment, we had seven folks named in that, and so that did not include, you know the guys who wanted to hang out around the gang and who were the lower level guys, the guys that they made do all the dirty work. You know, this was like the folks that we thought based upon our investigation, these guys are, are certified members of the gang. There were seven of those. um, And we only have two left at this point of that group. So talk about uh, Zato Tape. (laughs) I I hope I got that right. Oh, you nailed it. Um, Ortado from Hagerstown. Mm-hmm. He uh, he's been in jail and got into a little trouble in the jail as well, which has Certainly. been um, yeah sentenced separately. But um, yeah, talk about what he faces now. Sure. So he had um, obviously he had this indictment that uh, the the big Jim Bam indictment, but he also had some other charges that had been pending in Berkeley County um, that he had kind of skipped out on before, <clears throat> and then. Yes, when while he was in the jail, a um, actually the gentleman who was the target of one of the shootings in February of 2022, he himself he uh, happened to find himself incarcerated in the Eastern Regional Jail. On that is a else. bad day. Yeah, that's a bad day. It's a bad day when you 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 go to jail. First off, you're going to jail. It's not a good day. 
and then you walk in and you see the leader of the group that tried to shoot up your house in your pod. And uh, it didn't take long, probably about five minutes after he got uh, placed into that pod, uh, the attack happened and he was, uh, he was beaten uh, by Tato and another member of the organization who were both in the same section of the jail. So that was a two on one. Um, and ultimately we charged that, you know, sometimes it's a, some offenses at the jail, the jails, they, you know, goes ahead and like handles internally and there's, you know, we'll put you in solitary or this or that. And there's, there's, uh, violations that they can have. And then sometimes it rises to the level where we, cause it's in Berkeley County, the jail. Mm-hmm. So we handle those, um, where it comes to us. And certainly that that's what happened here. And we ended up taking him to a jury trial in just earlier this month, uh, Katie and I tried him and he was convicted on all, all four counts of that. So in addition to his plea on this Friday, this past Friday, he'll be sentenced on all of those things uh, in December. Well, I guess this is a little bit of a, a two-part question then because, mm-hmm. of course, he's a Hagerstown, Maryland native, but a lot of that activity happening in Berkeley County. I mean, you've you know prosecuted cases like this before. You mm-hmm. know, What is it about this area? Is it 81? Is it the proximity to Baltimore, <clears throat> Washington, D.C. that creates this as a highway for you know drug activity and, and yeah. building off of that point you know we talked about the US District Attorney's Office for people that are unfamiliar with cases like that I mean how difficult is it when you've got crossing state lines and you've got the US Attorney's Office to kind of limbo around jurisdiction and things like that and then to correctly prosecute a case like this sure you know there's there's a lot of consideration so to your first question uh, absolutely I think the things that you you mentioned are are why that's a problem in this area, proximity to Baltimore and 81. Um, we see so much. I mean, the number of people that drive through this county on 81, I, I always forget the numbers, but every time they tell me, it just, it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, uh, a highway for, for moving that kind of stuff. So, uh, yes, I think that. And then with, with the fact that we here in the Panhandle are so close to Maryland and Virginia, you know, I, I think it's really good that our office has historically and continues to have a good relationship with the I don't know, as I always call them, the folks up the street uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office. We've got um, folks over there that can pick up the phone and call and we can communicate. And normally what we do is if there's a case that that we think may have a federal component um, because it crosses state lines or does something like that, you know, we'll talk and, and we'll figure out between the offices who's got a better chance of success. You know, what statutes, you know, how does this fit better or, you know, what kind of what kind of result could each side get? And then we normally make a make a decision based on that. So could that have been in play here? Um, does he face any federal charges? He doesn't face federal charges right now. So what his biggest issue is that um, he has a, a immigration detainer lodged against him. So um, he's going to have a date with the federal government uh, as far as removal from the United States. Um, Where is he from? Um, the Ivory Coast. Okay. I uh, wanted to ask you too. On this latest uh, plea, the felony offense of Criminal Enterprise Act violation, yes. uh, what what sentence does he face? Uh, that's a great question. So most sentences in West Virginia are what we call indeterminate sentences. So um, the judge would pronounce a sentence of, I'm sentencing you to not less than one, no more than five years in the penitentiary. And then that's the sentence, one to five. And then once they hit one year, it's up to the parole board how much of that time they actually spend in. Um Criminal Enterprise Act is a determinate sentence, um, which gives the circuit judge a whole lot more discretion. So the way that works is it's up to 10 years, and the judge picks a number. So um, he could be sentenced to two, three, four, five, all the way up to 10 years, and it's uh, it'll be Judge McLaughlin who makes that determination. 
And then that's in addition to the convictions he obtained from, you know, that we got from the jail fight situation. That sentencing set to take place December 14th. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, a couple of other things that we wanted to touch on while we had you in studio, if that's all right. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about extensively the, the situation going on with uh, with Sheriff Harmon. Sure. And I just wanted to, to give you an opportunity, if you could, because, of course, uh, uh, Katie Wilkes-Delegate had recused herself from the case. You know, mm-hmm. this is, you know, going to be tried in, in, in conjunction with uh, some of the legal team in Morgan County. Could you just explain to the listeners why it was probably in the best interest of Berkeley County to recuse and take a step back from this case? Oh, sure. And, you know, a lot of folks don't, if you don't do a lot of stuff in, in law and you don't understand, you know, like conflicts and things, it's mm-hmm. it's something that happens. Um, it, it, it happens all the time. And the working relationship, of course, that our office has with the sheriff of the county. I mean, you know, we 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 work together a lot and to make it so that there's no appearance of any kind of impropriety, uh Katie had had made the decision and it's really I mean it's kind of the customary thing right. to do. It's what you do. You know, you're you're because of that relationship. So when when Katie kind of, you know, recused herself like you said and, and asked for the prosecutors institute to appoint a special prosecutor, um that's a kind of a top-down type of thing at the office. So if, if the boss, if Katie is out, then we're all out. And, um, you know, that investigation was handled by the state police. Um, and, and it was even that, you know, it's a, it was a trooper from another Party area. County. Yes. Yeah. So now, I mean, he used to be here. I, I worked a couple of cases with him before he went up there. He's a great guy. Um, but yes, so it's kind of like a hands-off thing mm-hmm. just so that it, because, you know, you're dealing with the public and public trust and you want to make sure that, uh, that everything you know, you don't want anybody to think anybody's getting special treatment. Four so. counts, they're all misdemeanors. Yes. Um, is that per usual in, in these situations, falsifying, uh, obstruction? I mean, those are right. You know, yes, th- those crimes are misdemeanors. So, you know, um, regardless of who they're they're lodged against, um, that's, a, that's a misdemeanor offense. Because And the other one is, you know, false statement to state police, I believe, or the other to the obstruction and false statement to state police. And um, any idea when that will be brought to trial? Because it sounds as though the sheriff does want to fight those charges. Yeah, it, it, it sure appears that way. Um, it, so he's going to be uh, have his arraignment. I forget when uh, Judge Faircloth has her arraignments. I could look at my calendar real quick, but it might take me too long. <laughs> um, so he'll be arraigned shortly on that, and uh, at that time they'll set a trial date. So our, our guest this morning is Joe Kinzer. He's a Berkeley County Assistant Prosecutor. Wanted to ask you, too, about some, some felonies that were lodged against a former Berkeley County Deputy Clerk, mm-hmm. uh, Melissa Joanna Beavers. Uh, just I, I know you're not uh, intimately aware of, of all the details of that case, but what can you say about it? Well, you know, it's um, it's troubling as a, you know, a person who lives here and, uh, and pays taxes here, and I'm uh, the... What was discovered, or as, as much as I know it, because I think we talked in off air, I am certainly familiar with it, but I was not involved in that investigation um, specifically. But, um, you know, that's a lot of money. Over a quarter of a million dollars. That's a lot of money that is alleged uh, that she uh, made off with. So, you know, you, it makes one wonder how does something like that happen. Um, but it's also just another example of the fact that, you know, and, and, Obviously, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, uh, both her and, and the sheriff. But, you know, nobody nobody is uh, above the law no matter what. And they'll, they'll have their day in, in court to see uh, what what can and cannot be proved. But, you know, I think the com- the public should at least take comfort in that, that 
that we look at those things and take it seriously. And we should note that you're assistant prosecutor now. You'd like to be the Berkeley County prosecutor. How's the campaign sure. going? Oh, you know, it's great. Uh, it, it's wonderful, and uh, I'm sure it's going to wear me out as it continues to go. It's still early, but uh, it's been wonderful to be able to meet so many people. And uh, what's been great, greatest for me is the support, uh, the support of my friends in law enforcement and child advocacy and victim advocacy and more specifically, though, just within the office, you know, to have that support and know that that they've got my back and uh, they want to keep going what we've had going. So I'm I've enjoyed it. Well, our guest this morning has been Berkeley County Assistant Prosecutor Joe Kinzer. We really appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Hey, thank you, sir. And we'll step aside and uh, continue the conversation in just a moment on Panhandle Live. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to at countryroadstire.com today. We're getting into spooky season. Of course, tomorrow is Halloween, and the uh, Morgan County uh, Sheriff's Department is offering uh, safe trick-or-treater tips Man, so we had a jump scare there at the window for a second. I looked up and... <laughs> Susan's not scary. Well, just for the in, in the shadows there for a second, I was just a little intimidated. Um, but anyways... Well, speaking of which... Okay. And speaking of uh, of which, yeah. uh, don't, don't be intimidated when you go trick-or-treating. <laughs> uh, and you can follow these safe tips. Parents should establish a curfew and a route designed to keep kids uh, close uh, to home within familiar areas and surroundings. Uh, remind kids not to enter strangers' homes or vehicles. Remind children to avoid homes without an outside light. Uh, attach your phone number and address to your children's costume. Be sure clothing and costumes are bright, reflective, and flame resistant. Uh, set rules about not eating treats until the kids get home. Once home, all candy should be inspected before it is ingested. When in doubt, throw it out. Uh, and ideally, set a curfew. Uh, trick-or-treating should go no later than 8 p.m. So, you know, I grew up in uh, the, the first home I lived into until I was about 7 or 8. We are on top of a hill. We only had a couple of neighbors, mm-hmm. so we really had to traverse uh, down the hill and into the so surrounding where they had areas. The, the full size candy bars. Well, no, no, not in that part of the, the of Morgantown, no. <laughs> um, but um, it was a little bit more of a hike. There was a lot of crossing over, you know, routes and things like that, and it was a little bit more precarious. And then we were able to move into a neighborhood, you know, where we were just walking on neighborhood mm-hmm. specific streets. Um, but uh, always a good thing to keep in mind: be alert, you know, make sure kids aren't running back and forth across the street, and be cognizant. I wish Morgan County Sheriff's Office had also tacked on. The fact that that the Reese's candy tax is real, mm. um, you know, your your parents deserve <laughs> something out of your, you know, and don't give them the merry, you know, the whatever the the caramel things. Like Not a caramel s- fan. Sweeten later now and later's and the ugh, yeah. I feel like that's a piece of candy that was retired in the '90s that I don't know about. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about here. Give, give mom and dad the good stuff. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. You're not a Milk Duds fan? Is that what you're mm, saying? No, not really. I do like me some Milk Duds. Actually, they're not awful. But if I was... If well, give, I me was a, give me your top three really quick. If I was pawing through my kids, not that that's ever happened. Never. Ever. <laughs> my kids' trick-or-treat basket. It, it would definitely be Reese's and, and Twix. I do like Twix. And, Put um, Kit Kat if, up there as well. If someone put Sixlets in, because I do enjoy Sixlets. What you is probably a Sixlet? It's another candy that was retired in the 90s. Okay. It, all right. What are yours? <laughs> <laughs> Moving uh, on. Reese's, Kit Kat, and something else. What's a Sixlet? 
Uh, remember, did you ever get... Uh, text get... text in 304-263-4321 and explain to young Luke what a sixlet is. Did you ever... Any, another thing, I, I guess controversially, I found out in my friend group yesterday that I must be the only person in the world that likes candy corn. Because I, don't oh, know I love how, candy yeah, corn. I love candy corn. My husband loves candy corn. And I also love, as long as it was packaged correctly, because if someone like made it in their house and they put it oh, in cellophane, you'd be a little, a little questionable. Uh, popcorn balls. Oh, I yeah. love popcorn balls. Yeah. And and if, you, if you're buying enough to give out, and then you have so many, you can send them in your kid's lunch, too. Um, mm-hmm. One year, so my dad always took us trick-or-treating, and one year he he got the day wrong. Ooh. But he had enough friends in the neighborhood that they were like, oh, okay. And so they would just give us candy anyway that day. But, like, the one lady wasn't prepared at all, and she just gave us each a nickel. <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> and looking back, I just realized that was, like, a story about the power of friendship. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Uh, you know, you always have the person that's handing out uh, a toothbrush or something to people just handing out like apples. Raisins. Like, what are we? Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Why? A box of raisins. What, am I, what are we doing here, folks? What did I do wrong? <laughs> Why am I getting a box of raisins? <laughs> well, before we digress any further into the world of Halloween candy, but please let us know uh, any other Halloween candies. And that, what are sixlets? What, what, what are sixlets? I'm going to Google it here later in the show mm-hmm. if I don't get an answer off the text line because I'm very, very interested. Very in, satisfying. I, I find they're very satisfying. Well, that's the tagline. There you go. Sixlets. Okay. They're satisfying. Okay. Uh, but a couple more stories we want to hit before we take a break and uh, get to our next guest. The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office and uh, we got uh, State Treasurer Riley Moron to talk about this last week. Had received a check of more than $10,000 from the West Virginia State Treasurer's Office after efforts to streamline evidence had been cleared out from 40 years ago. Uh, there was a mixture of items and unclaimed property, uh, including firearms, 100 items ranging from guns, ammunition, jewelry, knives, uh, and etc. to the state's treasurer's office um, as unclaimed property. And uh, we had state treasurer Riley Moore on last week and he explained exactly how the auction works. We go to the various different police departments and where they have firearms that are, say, have been rendered uh, obsolete, they don't work anymore, or they're part of um, a takedown where they we're able to get some firearms from drug dealers or something like that, or they're sitting in evidence lockers and have already been adjudicated. And you can find that complete interview on our uh, Panhandle Live Spotify page, talking a little bit more about the $10,000 that were raised from this office. I've just been handed a note from the uh, WEPM and WCST newsroom. Sixlets are small, round, uh, candy-coated, chocolate-flavored candy made by Oakleaf Confections. Out of Canada. A chocolate fray company based in Canada. They are often sold in cellophane packages that hold them in a tube-like formation. So they've got a formation in here. And I guess there's six. The, I guess. I never counted because I was just too busy like popping them into my mouth. The, the United States <laughs> and the Drug Administration recognize that cichlids are safe, it's safe for, for human, human consumption. consumption. <laughs> this was arrived at this conclusion in 1961. So I guess there were people rolling the dice with the cichlids pre-1961. Safe for human consumption. That should be their next test. Safe for human consumption <laughs> since 1961. If you've ever had a cichlid, please text us, 304-263-4321. Texter says cichlids are the best. Yes. Small candy-coated chocolate ball. So is it like a Whopper? Is it like a... No, not a Whopper? It's Okay, is the, it like an the M&M? description makes it sound like it's an, an M&M, but it's so much more satisfying. Because it's like, it just kind of bursts when you... When you chew it. Okay. Anyway, I, I'm i team sixlets. Well, I'm trying to find a picture of it here. Okay. Is this... Um, yeah. I, this is great for that's, radio, by the way. Well, no, they don't really have... A, okay. That's that's not a sixlet. Or is it? Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. 
They're, that's, those that's are more colorful. But yeah. right, if we have any other Sixlet supporters, please text us in 304. Team Sixlets. Team Sixlet, uh, 2634321 <laughs> is the text line. Uh, one more story we want to hit on uh, before uh, we take this break and get to our next guest. The United Auto Workers, and uh, you, you gave me the correct pronunciation. I already forgot it. Uh, Stellantis? I think so. I've been saying it wrong. Sorry. Have, uh, have reached a tentative contract deal, leaving just General Motors as the target of the strikes uh, or the strikees in their week-long strike or weeks-long strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UAW says the deal with Stellantis is very similar to what Ford agreed to, a 25% raise over four years. UAW President Sean Fain says the 43,000 union members working for Stellantis uh, still need to ratify the deal. Right. Uh, but we've been covering this story mm-hmm. extensively. The, the strikes have continued. I've been past the plant in Hedgesville a couple of times. Their resolve is holding strong, uh, and it seems as though there's uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So I think they're they're still committed to being out on the picket lines until they get a um, you know deal with GM as well. But uh, yeah, the the solidarity has been uh, solidarity has been impressive, and uh, here here two down. Um, you know, if you're coming from the the union's perspective, uh, this has been a pretty successful. Albeit, I mean more than a month that's got to be kind of scary oh yeah after a while absolutely and uh, we'll continue to update this story we've got some audio we'll be playing throughout the day with union local president vanessa banks uh the president of uaw local 1590 and uh, we'll continue to uh update this story as time goes on the fun okay. size has six yeah 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 okay i think you i've seen, seen those before okay. i don't know if i've ever had one right. but be, uh, be brave this halloween season if i if uh, if anybody wants to send some sixlets to the studio um, I'm sure those would go over incredibly well. Yeah, if you get them. If anybody <laughs> else wants to shout out their favorite Halloween candy or reminisce more about uh, the sixlets and uh, and all, all kinds of other stuff, 304-263-4321 is the text line. Uh, we've got another break to take, and we'll continue the conversation in just a moment on WEPM and WCST. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchville building here in Martinsburg. And uh, old Harvey comes your way at the top of the hour, but we got a couple of moments between now and then. Uh, very quickly, before we bring our next guest in the studio, according to USA Today, the most popular Halloween candy every year, Marsha, are Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, which I think is the correct answer. It is be, the correct answer. To be followed by uh, <laughs> M&M, Snickers, Hot Tamales, number four. I've never met that. a person that enjoys eating Hot Tamales. I used to eat them. Uh, when I sing in the choir, because they help with your throat. I and know I'll, that. If I have issues when I'm broadcasting, I'll eat hot tamales. I didn't know that. Uh, That's really cool. Skittles, Sour Patch Kids, Hershey Bars, Kit Kat, Twix, Butterfingers, the usual suspects, the 10 least favorite Halloween candies. You're not going to break my heart right now. No, 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 no. Okay. Sixlets does not make an appearance okay. on the list. I think this was uh, written by a millennial. Um <laughs> So the least popular candy in Halloween. You gotta know it exists if you want to. Exactly. Uh, cir- circus peanuts is uh, the least popular. I like circus uh, peanuts. Candy corn number two, which I love candy corn. I like candy Necco corn. Necco wafers, which I didn't know. I do existed. like those. Peanut butter kisses. I don't know exactly what that means. Wax cola. So I'm a big believer in the wax cola bottles. I I, I enjoyed those. I don't know what Mary Janes are. I thought those were. Yeah, shoes. that's one of the gross things I was trying to t- like. <laughs> yeah, tell you that you you've been a bad kid if you get those in your, bo- you get in your basket. Yeah. Uh, Smarties, licorice, bit o honey. I've never same heard thing. Of. Yeah, along the lines and of- uh, tootsie rolls, which I like yeah. tootsie rolls. So uh, you know, doesn't play well with dental work. A couple yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yikes. 
Yeah, if you're if you're over a certain age, you don't want those in your basket either. <laughs> you're trick or treating. Goodness well, gracious. Well, maybe Marsha, our next guest, may can can weigh in on the Halloween candy conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think she's pretty young. She may not have had any six slits in her life. Oh, they're the best. Oh, oh yeah, there we go. Team six Team slits. Six slits has another member. <laughs> Stephanie Stout is Region Two Drug Control Policy Coordinator. Welcome in. Good morning. Well, thanks for being here, and and you've been uh, you've been gifted some plants by by Susan. She's our uh, office botanist. She, yeah, office botanist. <laughs> yes. There you go. And uh, if she finds out that you like plants, then you're going to get one of those spider plants. You're probably going to get some aloe vera. Who knows? But yeah. Yes, I think I have six new plants now. So, so cool. <laughs> Very excited. So uh, you're here with some uh, kind of relatively good news in terms of uh, overdose rates in the county. Yes. So um, when we look back historically, at our overdose rates in Berkeley County. We know that we had a very, very big problem back in 2017, 2016. And just looking over the past three years, four years, we've been able to see a tremendous drop in those numbers. Um, Now, all these numbers that I'm about to give you are on the Office of Drug Control Policies data dashboard. Um, Everything is finalized up to 2021. 2022 is still, um, they have to do verifications for that. But if we look at 2019, we had 458 opioid and fentanyl overdoses for Berkeley County. When we get to 2020, we had 407. 2021, we had a little spike. It went up to 431. 2022, tentatively speaking, we're talking 530. And then when we look at 2023, of course, we are in October, 333 thus far. And these are overdoses these are suspected overdoses and are these overdoses that led to deaths or these are just overdose occurrences overdose occurrences and potentially these could be the same individual a a couple of times yes okay so um it's trending in the right direction then correct correct and if we look at um you know i just took some screenshots this morning and if we look at um this year in comparison to last year we can see that in october of last year, we actually had, uh, goodness, let me blow it up here. We had 48 overdoses mm-hmm. in Berkeley County. Last year in October. Yes. And when we look at this year attentively, we've, we are at 20 right now, and that's city and county overdoses recorded by EMS. So barring some sort of episode in one day or a day and a half, uh, it's, it's virtually half. Absolutely. And, you know, and we have to take this back to the fact that we have so much access to to naloxone, also known as Narcan, in our community. Between the QRTs, the resource centers, the day report centers, and the other community members, such as the core team, that are out here on a daily basis handing out Narcan to community members, either that are at risk of an overdose or a family member that has someone that's at risk of an overdose, that decreases the number, the risk of an overdose tremendously. So when someone is overdosing at home and a friend or loved one gives them naloxone, uh, then that overdose or that event may not make it onto the the numbers, right? Right. If 911 is not called or if they are not taken to the hospital, it is not recorded. Um, and we actually, we've started a campaign here in the panhandle called Cora, and it's it's a sticker that has a QR code on it. We have these in all of EPTA's buses, all of PVTA's buses over in other areas of the region. And what it does is it allows community members to anonymously 
report an overdose. Um, so we have that at the hospitals too in Berkeley and Jefferson, just in the event that maybe somebody comes in, um, they're not necessarily there because they overdosed, but they see the sticker and they're like, well, you know, I know my son overdosed three days ago, or I did, and they can anonymously report that so that we can continue to get the Narcan that we need in the community. Because as we see the numbers go down, Mm -hmm. that makes it look as though there's less of a need for the Narcan in the communities, and we want to keep going with that. Well, well, for people in the community that maybe aren't incredibly closely associated with somebody that may be at risk of uh, overdosing, is it still, you know, uh, good advice for somebody to have Narcan or at least the ability to know how to use it, you know, in the communities for if they were to come up on a potential overdose? Absolutely. You know, I'm trained in first aid and CPR. I've never had to use it, but I continue every couple years to get retrained Mm -hmm. because in the event that I'm you know, stumble upon a situation where I may have to use it. I want to know how to do that. It's the same idea with Narcan. I don't ever want to have to use it. But in the event that somebody's in their car at the sheets or somebody's on the street, because people do overdose right on the sidewalk, um, I have a tool that I can use to help revive them, bring their breathing back. And, you know, we have to talk about stigma related with overdoses. It's not just people who use drugs. It's your 65-year-old grandmother that forgot that she took her meds this morning and she took them again. Um, It's also a lot of our youth right now. These pressed pills that are going around have fentanyl in them, very dangerous, highly deadly, and our youth don't know about that. So the increase in prevention and education within our schools is vital right now at this point. So talk about the quick response team and, and, you know, how that ties into all of this, because I, one of the reasons the quick response team comes out is to try to prevent some of this happening in the future. Right. So, you know, in Berkeley County years ago, I helped, you know, form the quick response team, get us up and running, and it's proved to be very successful up until now. Um, In the past, Jefferson County had tried to get a quick response team up and running, but they couldn't get the information for the overdose calls. And so um, now we actually, we have that information. Um, And since September, mid-September, there have been eight referrals, and two of those individuals have actually received treatment due to those follow-ups. Wow, in in the span of a couple of months. Right, right. And it's been a slow-moving ship because... um, a lot of individuals are worried about HIPAA compliance. Um, it, what is this going to look like? And so one of the key partnerships that we actually have formed now is with law enforcement in Berkeley County or Jefferson County to ensure that if they go on a call, there's no legal you know, problems going on, that they can actually call us right then and there on the spot to come out and follow up with that individual to offer services. Yeah, describe that. If, if someone overdoses or if there's a, a, a scene medical Uh, emergency personnel has been called. What does it look like for the quick response team? Okay, so there's two different responses here. There's the response of yesterday there was an overdose. We send the information. EMS sends the information or the hospital sends the information to the quick response team. And within 24 to 72 hours, we go out and we follow up with that individual. Sometimes we follow up with their family members, not necessarily them. But either way, we're able to leave some information in the event that they come back. Now, the other thing that we're just looking at, and it's very, very new, such as in Friday new, um, is that when law enforcement has a call and they follow up with somebody 
um, and there's no legal consequences because, of course, you know, legal takes precedence. Um, they can give us a call and we actually can show up on the scene to help that individual if they're interested in that. And what's the hope? You, what do you do when you get there? Meet people where they're at. Um, it's not necessarily to offer them treatment services. Sometimes it's to figure out what kind of housing services they may have. Maybe it's um, grief support for family members or just family support. Maybe it's food because um, a lot of individuals have food insecurity in our area. It really it becomes about relationship building more than about, hey, I want to get you to treatment. It's more about what do you need today? How can I help? Very good. Our guest this morning has been Stephanie Stout. Anything else uh, you want the listeners to know uh, before we let you go? Yes. So just to put a plug in for the <laughs> Jefferson County uh, Quick Response Team, which is located at the Jefferson County Health Department, if you are needing, seeking any kind of support or services, you can call 304-728-8461, extension 3041. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for giving us the time this morning. Thank you. All right, we've got another break to take. We'll wrap up the show after this on WEPM and WCST. Local news now at panhandlenewsnetwork.com. Now back to Panhandle Live. Final segment of Panhandle Live this Monday edition. Before we turn things over to Hoppy Kirchwell at the top of the hour, mixed reviews for Sixlets along <laughs> our listening area. Um, you want to say it? You want to say what we heard? I, 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 all I will say is that uh, we've gotten our first dissent against uh, Sixlets, yeah. and it's a, it's, it's, it's a fervent dissent. Kind of a slam. <laughs> uh, well, Marsha uh, had a, a fun weekend that probably didn't include consuming Sixlets, uh, but you were able to go down to uh, the great city of Orlando. You're at the bounce house yeah. rooting for the Mountaineers, yes. which was the right decision because WVU <laughs> won the game. So, you know, my husband's an alum at UCF. So he was wearing a UCF shirt and a WVU hat, and he wouldn't give me the hat, which I wish he had, because now I've got a sunburn on my forehead, because all he had to offer me was a UCF hat, and I, no way I was wearing that. So anyway, we were in this uh, section with a bunch of UCF fans, right? And I was on the edge, so every time I saw someone coming up the aisle who had WVU gear on, I would yell, go ears, you know? Like not uh, anyway, so I made a lot of friends, and um, it was it was interesting because it was pretty pretty crowded. Not well, take me to uh, through the beginning of the bounce house because oh. I was able to hear what it sounded like, uh -huh. and then uh, the fourth quarter at the bounce house, I have a feeling it was two very different audio levels. So the the bounce house story, you know, they they um they were they made their stadium like the one in FAU. I understand this from my husband, and uh, some of the materials were not at, up to code, and they had to fix them. Mm -hmm. But it made the stadium really flexible, right? And so they just kind of leaned into that and called it the bounce house. And it really does bounce whenever uh, the the student section gets going, right? It really does bounce. Um, so I've watched enough soccer, international soccer, that I know that's not always a good thing. But you know what? For years they've been doing it. Anyway, so um, the the fans were getting into it. Like I told you guys, they have great production with um, getting the fans involved in the game. You know, that's good enough for UCF first down. Everyone gets into it, right? They they started just peeling out fourth quarter. Like the UCF fans were just heading to the parking lots. And this one guy dressed in a banana suit who'd won of some sort of like fan of the game. I looked over and he was sneaking out in the banana suit. I don't know how you think you're sneaking out. You can't sneak out. out in the banana suit now. The banana left the he split. <laughs> I've been sitting on that one since Saturday. 
Anyway, so yeah, it was a it was not a good day to be a UCF Knights fan. Well, the Mountaineers are a win away from bowl eligibility. UCF still searching for their first win in conference play. Starting to get a little rustless there with John Rice Plumley through three interceptions in that game as well. I'm sure that didn't go over well. Um, it was kind of exciting to see how many turnovers there were because, like, <laughs> I I I was trying to time when to go out and get a you know a drink or go to the bathroom, or whatever. And, oh, did you and- get any concession stand food from the bounce house? <laughs> My husband tried. Oh, that's another story. Oh, so right. he, it, we, we got one smoothie, and then he you was got a trying smoothie to, at a football stadium. Okay, that's almost un-American. It's a life choice. I mean, that has to start. <laughs> the calories have to be in the quadruples. There has to be in the thousands. If you it was eat pretty hot. Anyway, so listen. Well, did you get a mimosa too? I mean, no. <laughs> um, so anyway, he was trying to get. The, they had this really rad souvenir cup that yeah, had oh yeah. the night nitro and the mountaineer mascot, right? Oh. And by the time the game went over, all of the concessions were done too. Like, the, right. like they'd closed up shop. So he went back the next day and found this guy who was working there who put him in his truck. He was like, come with me. And they went and found cups. <laughs> Hold up. Take a step back. <laughs> we were at the empty stadium and the Less guys than were there cleaning 20 minutes up. removed from a, a warning from the, the uh, Morgan County Sheriff's Office. To not get any strange vehicles right. on Halloween weekend. My husband got into a strange vehicle. And came back with a but souvenir cup. You know, he said the guy seemed nice. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me that, now that I have all the information. I'm sure it's perfectly fine. <laughs> well, of course, that wasn't the only exciting football action that happened over the weekend. So, unfortunately, we talked about it. Shepard was upset at, uh, by Bloomsburg, 14-10, to 10, the final score, for their second loss of the season. And while it's getting to a really tentative and stressful end of that game, my phone is just going ballistic right. because uh, various group chats throughout the company were all starting to realize one by one by one by one by one that Berkeley Springs had a chance mm-hmm. to win their first football game in 700 day over 722 day dry they spell. They did it. Oh, so exciting. And I love the call that you guys played during the sports show. <laughs> and this has been so fulfilling for folks like Parker, who, uh, you know, he's there good and bad. And the, the home team, the crowd is always into it, good or bad. And this was just such a nice break for them. It certainly was. He was talking about the emotions. It was senior day. There are 12 seniors on that football team. They were going to go two full seasons without a win. They had the longest active losing streak in the state of West Virginia no longer, Marsha, as they were able to beat Braxton County uh, 27 and 21. So a one and nine season this year, a state championship next year. <laughs> it starts to, you start to build from here. Yeah, it's building. You know, trust the climb, as someone said. And <laughs> That's I think gone that, over so well yeah, for the Mountaineers. Hey, but you know, they're, they're doing all right. All right. Now. You're <laughs> running out of time, by the way, to continue our, our sixlet contingency, 304-263-4321. Team if, sixlet. If, if you want to sign your name to Team Sixlet. Uh, please feel free. But, Marsha, it's the last week of the high school football season. Week 11, teams trying to get into the playoffs. Our Panhandle High School football game of the week is going to take us to the land of the roundabouts as Musselman is going to take on Parkersburg. If they win that game, they're in. If they lose, they're probably knocked out. What is this if you you speak of? What is the if? The result for the Appleman coming off of a 43-6 victory over Washington has never been higher 
but I only say that to say it's going to be a really entertaining week of high school football this uh, this upcoming Friday. We will dizzy them on their way into town on our multiple, multiple <laughs> roundabouts. That's I, I can't imagine what it's like going through five consecutive roundabouts in a school bus. On a team bus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's like riding the cyclone. It's like, we can't play, coach. We're too dizzy. <laughs> Why did they do this to us? <laughs> well, this show has taken a lot of different twists and turns, and if you want to relive all of them, you can find it a little bit later on. Posted on our Panhandle News Network Spotify pages. Uh, our guest this morning, we want to thank him again. We had Joe Kinzer, the assistant county or uh, Berkeley County assistant prosecutor, on, and uh, we also had Stephanie Stout, the Region Two Drug uh, Control Policy Coordinator, as well. We've got Hoppy Kirchival coming at the uh, top of the hour, so stay tuned. But for Marcia, I have been Luke, and we will talk to you tomorrow. and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.